Welcome to the IEEE Brain Podcast Series, an IEEE Digital Studio production. This episode is brought to you by IEEE Brain in partnership with the IEEE Computational Intelligence Society. Professor Damien Coyle, UKRI Turing AI Fellow at Ulster University, discusses the intricacies involved in neuroscience and advancements in brain interface technologies, offering insights for individuals who may be interested in this evolving field. Damien, thank you for joining us today. Can you tell us a little bit about your current position and some of the technology you're working with? Okay. Um, my name is Damien Coyle. I'm currently a professor in neurotechnology. And you know, all through that, that career stages, I've been focusing on developing new innovations in neurotechnology, focusing on the signal process and, and initially, as I said, followed by you know, trialing the technology with end users. Um, so neurotechnologies that I've been developing are focused around non-invasive brain-computer interfaces, which use electroencephalography. Um, EG-based interfaces are, 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 as I said, non-invasive and can potentially enable people to interact with computers and potentially communicate without moving. Uh, so on that basis, they're targeted at people with physical disabilities who have, may have limited or no means of communication whatsoever. So following a number of trials with those patients, we realized that they, they could interact with technology a lot better than, than, than a lot of us can, even able-bodied. So towards 2011, we, we developed, or we, we were reading recent research on the, the area of people who have brain injuries and um, are in a condition known as prolonged disorders of consciousness. So this is where if somebody has a severe brain injury, they come through a coma, uh, and when they awaken from the coma, they, they may be still unable to communicate, and it's very difficult to establish their, their levels of awareness in those conditions, uh, so their cognitive abilities, because they cannot move to communicate. So there's a spectrum there known as, as disorders of consciousness, which includes unresponsible wakefulness syndrome, where you're assumed to be awake, but completely unresponsive to stimuli, um, and therefore maybe not cognitively aware. Uh, there's minimally conscious state where there's an assumption that there's uh, a level of awareness as indicated by some appropriate responses to stimuli and command. However, it's very difficult to establish that because consistent overt motor responses in these individuals is quite challenging to establish. There's also locked-in syndrome that, 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 that includes conditions where we know the person is consciously aware and can respond by some means, maybe an eye blink or, 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 or some other residual movement, but uh, they are more or less completely incapacitated and cannot move to respond. So how do you target certain areas of technology development? As I said, in 2011, we started working with these patients and, and soon established that there was a clear need to, to, to develop technology that, first of all, could assess the patients to see if there was awareness. So when a person imagines movement, they can normally modulate signals in the sensory motor regions of the brain that enable us to determine if we ask them to imagine movement in response to, to a command. Uh, and we see changes in the brain response, then we know that the person has some level of awareness. Uh, 
some level of language comprehension to understand the command and ability to, to, to again, follow the command and imagine the movement, modulate the brain activity. So this can be used as a, a non-movement or a movement-independent means of establishing somebody's levels of awareness uh, using brain-computer interface technologies. Obviously, if you can modulate brain activity to, to confirm that you're aware, um, then you could learn to modulate that brain activity to, to potentially use it as a communication channel. And so what we do, do now, and we've done in a number of trials, and we have an ongoing trial in the UK involving 17 hospitals, including, including hospitals in the Republic of Ireland, to, to, to try this technology, as a, first of all, as a mechanism for establishing awareness in, in non-responsive patients or patients with prolonged disorders of consciousness, uh, potentially enabling them to learn to, to get better at modulating brain activity by providing feedback in a closed-loop brain-computer interface scenario. And then, um, but we also do a lot of other different aspects of neurotechnology, looking at the fundamental elements of the, the signal processing. Um, and developing new UAI techniques. And then we, we, we apply that across a range of applications of brain-computer interfaces, such as in stroke rehabilitation, in post-traumatic stress disorder treatment, and a number of non-medical applications, including neurogaming and, and neuro, neuro interaction with technologies for, for, for various application areas. How would you describe the interaction between IEEE brain and the IEEE Computational Intelligence Society. Our society, you know, covers a lot of technologies that that are inspired by the brain, in particular neural network technologies, and, and, and we try to develop intelligent systems. So there, there is a, a link there in terms of trying to understand the brain and, uh, and take inspiration to, to develop advanced AI. But I think there's a lot of applied elements of the computational intelligence society that focus on you know, advanced signal processing, advanced uh, image processing, um, systems that, that, that can infer information from noisy, non-stationary signals. So I think that the society has a, has a big role to play in, in developing expertise that can be applied, applied in developing advanced neurotechnology. So Damien, how are some of these technologies being brought to market? You know, in my own research, we've been developing non-invasive technologies, and we think they're they're close to market. They can be used safely and, and, and proven to have efficacy in, in large clinical trials for for a range of conditions. In 2016, we established a company called Euroconcise Limited. Uh, which has developed award-winning wearable neurotechnology. So this is a, a basically a, a neurotechnology headset that can be worn in standard hats, caps, wigs, whatever, and it's, it's unobtrusive, um, concealable, and you know, doesn't make people look unusual when they're wearing it, and can record you know, high-quality EEG electroencephalography uh, in any location uh, and be used in range of applications from simple monitoring of, of brain activity to brain-computer interfaces in, in rehabilitation and augmentative and alternative communication technologies, uh, in recreation such as neurogaming, in, in sports and physiology in terms of uh, neurofeedback to, to augment uh, 
green activity augments you know, performance, uh, as well as many others, as I mentioned earlier. So the, the company is now almost five years in the running. We have a product launched to, to develop the technology and, and or to, to, to sell wearable headsets that are available. Um, and we also have a number of trials ongoing in quite a number of different target uh, end user groups, including those that I mentioned, belong to SARS of consciousness, stroke rehabilitation, and post-traumatic stress disorder. What advice or insights could you share with young professionals or students who might be interested in becoming involved in this technology? It's a multidisciplinary effort to develop the technology. So, you know, we have computer scientists, engineers, manufacturing experts, AI experts, um, neuroscientists, neuroimaging experts, people working in computational medicine, psychology, psychiatry, physiology and sport, ethical and, and societal um, elements, you know, regulatory affairs, health economics, you know, medical device marketing and entrepreneurship. So, you know, so it's, a, it's quite diverse and you know, to, to come into this field you may start on, on the signal processing, you may start on the hardware or sensor technology, you may start on the, the clinical side of things, but you kind of have to be open-minded to, to be able to, to, to learn and study across these disciplines, to be aware of all the different elements that come together. So, you know, after your undergraduate degree, going to a PhD, you should, you should really try to get to grips with the basics across all elements of the technology from the outset um, so that you can be aware of the, the challenges and, and opportunities and, and how these aspects link together. I think it's also very important that you, that, you know, as a young researcher, I got involved in, in computational intelligence society and, and that opened a lot of doors. So, you know, if you're going to get involved in IEEE, it's not just about being, being a member and, and receiving, you know, some of the the many benefits that are there from being involved in, in, in IEEE, but to also engage with your society, engage with the network that, that's created there and, and try to become an active member within the society because that will have knock-on benefits in terms of you know, opportunities and, and you know, again, network establishment is, is critical for, for developing your career in, in your technology research. Likewise, in, in IEEE Brain, IEEE Brain is, is really, really looking at you know, the standards, uh, standardization of neurotechnologies, um, the, the ethical issues around them, and you know, how these technologies can be delivered in the clinic or in the home or you know, in, in, in non-medical applications beyond, beyond clinic. Are there any upcoming events or conferences that you would recommend to further explore the advancements that are being made with this technology? IEEE CAS Symposium Series on Computational Intelligence, which I believe has a brain-computer interface um, symposium there. There's also IEEE SMC Conference, which has a large neurotechnology to develop their, their PhD program or, um, or early career stages. But there are there are other events you know being held regularly and opportunities to view um, 
Um, example, for example, IEEE Brain webinars provide an excellent uh, opportunity to, to, to learn from some of the key researchers in the field. Uh, as well as that, many of the IEEE conferences, as you say, are streamed online and available uh, offline then or, or after uh, as recordings. Are there any events where people utilizing brain interface devices actually compete against one another? One of the, the patients who got involved in our trial in 2011 subsequently went on to compete in the Cybathlon uh, competition, which is uh, held in Zurich, um, was held in Zurich in 2016. And then there was a Cybathlon series competition held in, in Graz in, in 2019, and then the, the global edition in 2020. So Cybathlon has six bases basically where spinal injured or, or physically impaired athletes or cyber athletes compete against each other and in the brain computer interface race uh, pilots or athletes compete against each other controlling their brain activity to race a virtual avatar in a virtual race platform um, so this was a, a really interesting event that to to win a competition essentially and, and our pilot uh, who was spinal injured since 1993, uh, really, really engaged with that technology and, and performed well across the three competitions. So keep an eye out for Cybathlon in, in years to come. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with the listening audience? The path that I've followed has been really rewarding, and I think you know, there is a need to, to get more and more people engaged in this technology, especially people maybe for example, from the IEEE Computational Intelligence Society, who are, who are some of the leaders in developing novel AI and computational intelligence and applying that across a range of domains. If, if, if we could get some of their expertise to tackle some of the key challenges in dealing with you know, unwieldy biological signals and electrophysiology, which have those challenges that I mentioned, you know, person-to-person -person variability, minute-to-minute variability causing non-stationarity, uh, you know, signal, low signal to noise. These challenges, you know, are, are limiting the deployment of neurotechnology and we're, and we're trying to address them all the time. So, you know, that's one of the, the key areas. Uh, some of the other affiliated societies of IEEE Brain have a lot to, to, to bring to the, the field as well in terms of, you know, new devices, um, new manufacturing capability new sensing technologies, you know, and then beyond that, looking at the, the regulatory pathways to get these technologies approved and safe, safely developed uh, and ethically applied in, in society. Thank you for listening to our interview with Professor Damien Coyle. To learn more about IEEE Brain, please visit our web portal at brain.ieee.org dot org.